You can see on the screen, our passage for today is from Matthew chapter 10, verses 16, for 30, uh, 16 to 33. And there is also a link here to menti.com and a code. And uh, that's for questions, because we'll have a short Q&A session later. So, you know, as you listen, you get questions. Don't let that, like, stop you. Just write down your question, and then you continue to listen first. Lah. Let's start with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, May the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be pleasing to you. Help us to listen carefully, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray this. Amen. About 20 years ago in Chicago, Christopher, a 15-year-old boy, was shot. Now he was bleeding and his friends managed to carry him very close to the hospital, about 15 meters away only. But because the bleeding was starting to get worse, they had to put him down because they worried that they're actually making the injuries worse. So then the friends rushed into the hospital and they asked for help at the emergency room. But they were told that the hospital's policy is that they cannot treat anyone who is not in the hospital grounds itself. So, they frantically looked for a solution and they were lucky. They managed to find a policeman who then managed to find a wheelchair and they dragged the wheelchair there, put Christopher in the wheelchair and bring him in into the ICU. But by then, it was too late. He was already dead. Outside these four walls, we are surrounded by people who are dead without the gospel. Yet oftentimes, we too like that hospital are content to share the gospel only with those who step into this church building. And we find it difficult to go outside where they need to hear the gospel. And the main reason that we find it difficult is because we are fearful. In our passage today, Jesus talks about this fear and he guides us on how to overcome it. So let's come to our passage in Matthew chapter 10. Um, if you have your Bibles, you can open that. Or if you're using your phone, you can open that. But before we go into our passage for today, let's refresh our memory. Last week, uh, Andrew brought us back to Matthew. We looked at the end of Matthew chapter 9, the beginning of Matthew chapter 10. And we saw that the disciples were sent on a mission to the nation of Israel to proclaim the kingdom of God. Now, of course, for us, it applies slightly differently, right? They went on a short-term, intensive, and localized mission. We are looking at long-term, ongoing ministry with a global reach. So while there are differences in that sense, in the shape and scope of our ministry, unfortunately, one thing remains the same. Proclaiming the gospel comes with dangers and costs. It's true for them then, it's true for us now. Now, let's come to verse 16 to see how the passage teaches us to respond to these things. Behold, I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves, so be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. Now, Jesus is using a metaphor here as he talks about the sending of the disciples to preach the gospel. The disciples are sent out as sheep in the midst of wolves. And you don't need much imagination to understand what Jesus means here, right? Wolves will eat sheep and then thank you for the nice meal. Yet here, 
Jesus is sending this sheep, his own disciples, out to the people of Israel, who, like the wolves, will devour them given the opportunity. Does this shock us? It seems like Jesus being very callous with his disciples, and uh, go, 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 let the wolf get you, right? But Jesus is not cruelly tossing his disciples, closing his eyes, and just waiting for them to get eaten by wolf. He's sending them with advice and reminders. He reminds them here to be wise as serpents, uh, which is saying they're to be cunning and crafty. That's something like the serpent in Genesis, right? And at the same time, they are also called to be innocent as doves. So it implies that, okay, cunning and crafty like the serpent, but not like the serpent because also innocent. right? So it's not about doing it in a bad or wicked way. So in that sense, it's about being prepared, having a plan, right? having street smart, acting wisely after considering all things. So it's actually about wisdom or the original translation of the word in the Hebrew would be prudence, right? So how then would this advice apply to us? Now imagine, you think, oh, no, the gospel needs to go out, right? And you grab your loudspeaker, right? There's one inside the cupboard there, actually, in case you didn't know. Uh, you grab the loudspeaker, then you go to the national mosque on a Friday evening, Arm with a loudspeaker, we wait for them to go in. Then you on the loudspeaker, you proclaim the gospel. Everyone hears the gospel, right? Good or not? Wise or not? It will create unnecessary controversies, isn't it? It will, in fact, actually interfere with gospel sharing as people are going to become angry and people are going to seek then to curtail the freedom that we already have. And you can imagine what the newspaper is going to say. You can imagine how the politicians are going to milk this for political mileage. Right? And once again, Christians will become the bogeyman that threatens the peace of Malaysia. So can you see why we need to be wise as serpents? So if we do it in a way that's not wise, it's not just going to affect our ministry, but also the ministry of others. So, we should learn how to bring the gospel to people in such a way that it's wise. It doesn't incite anger towards Christians. It does not lead us to be devoured. And so, being wise like serpents, we try to do it in better ways. And our goal is still the same, right? We want the gospel to go out. We're not saying, hard to do, better don't do. I'm right? saying, hard to do, be smart about how you do it. For example, right? You invite people to your homes. Now it's not public, right? You can say whatever you want. You share the gospel as part of your conversation as you're having a nice meal. Oh, what do you think about this? Talk about politics a little. Do you know about Jesus? Right? So now you're just talking, sharing. You're not brainwashing. You're not coercing anyone. You show care and concern for them. But you do it because... You are told by Christ to love your neighbor. So it's genuine. You're not thinking of them as a project, right? So as you do these things, you're being wise. You're being innocent. Now, is there still a danger as you apply your wisdom and innocently you go out and do this thing? Of course, there's still danger, right? Yet notice, 
Jesus does not say, hey, stay safe, huh? concentrate on your career, your family, and when things look good, when it's safe to share the gospel, maybe lah, if you're free, you go share the gospel. Jesus does not say that. So we want to see that Jesus calls us to share the gospel knowing well the dangers that we will face. So the dangers should not stop us from working out ways that we can go out and share the gospel. Now, it is unfortunate. Too many of us get too comfortable because we look at the cause and the dangers and we say, maybe not today. But what we want to see is that Jesus wants us to push on, but carefully and with wisdom in the face of dangers. So we cannot then look to the danger use it as a justification to not go out and preach the gospel. And what are these dangers that we may have to face? Verse 17 gives us an example, a warning, a picture, the scope of the resistance to the gospel. Verse 17, Beware of men, for they will deliver you over to courts and flog you in the synagogues, and you will be dragged before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them and the Gentiles. Jesus reminds his disciples to be careful of men because the people of Israel will reject them as they bring the gospel. And Jesus then lists out the dangers. There will be trials, punishments, problems with authorities. And, and as if that is not enough, if you look at verse 22 and 23, he adds on betrayal, death, and hatred to that list. Now friends, Jesus paints a scary picture here, doesn't he? But he's not saying this here so that we have an excuse not to share the gospel, right? You can get that from the vibe of what he's saying, right? And just like what he's said before, in all the different things that he said about, these are hard truths, but they're not meant to discourage you, but he's seeking to do the opposite. He still wants you to go out and do that despite the dangers. In fact, if you look carefully, you notice that Jesus it's not so much concerned about the scope of your success. Because he goes on to say, right, if you're not successful, wisdom fails, captured, delivered to the authorities to be sentenced, well, in that situation, the disciples are told that they are still being faithful because now they witness to Jesus, to them. So in that situation, they are to bear witness to these authorities. And not just them, but also the Gentiles will get to hear the gospel. So even failures will bring about the witnessing of Christ to others. And notice that while the Gentiles are not the target, right? These guys are sent to the Jews first. It's clear that Jesus wants them to, to hear the gospel. They are to hear, they are to respond. And ultimately, that tells us that Jesus wants everyone to hear the gospel. So we can see that we must continue the gospel mission. Right? We take what the disciples did on that scale, you apply it to the whole world in our context. And we should also then not look at our failures as meaningless. There will be times that when you have poured out your heart to someone, you shared the gospel, pleading with them to come to Christ, and they just go, eh. It's not failure. You have witnessed faithfully. Our goal is not successful conversions. It's nice if people do. Lah. 
Our goal is faithful proclamation of Christ, of his gospel. Are we faithful in proclaiming Christ? In all the things that you do. Think about it, right? When there's little cost to us, are we faithful? And when the cost goes up, are we still faithful? And most of us will fall somewhere within that line, right? And so the real thing to look at is not your success, but your faithfulness. So in both success and failures, we can aim to focus on that faithfulness. That's the question one is, have I been faithful? Now this should change the way we think about how we proclaim the gospel, how we think about success and failures, isn't it? Think about people like Pastor Raymond Koh. He went missing because he offended some people. And some Christians would actually see him as a failure because oh, he got kidnapped and his ministry came to an end. Cannot do any more already. Such a waste. Now we are not even sure if he's alive or not, sadly. But in light of what Christ reveals here about his thoughts, his attitudes towards ministry, we shouldn't be thinking negatively about his ministry, isn't it? Rather, we should see the terrible price that he had paid for the sake of gospel work and how that shows his faithfulness and how that faithfulness is actually a witness to the nation, isn't it? He proved with his ministry that the gospel of Jesus is important enough for Christians to risk their lives to proclaim. Right? He was not someone who didn't know, oh, like this bad, I didn't know. No, he knew. So, do we find an encouragement in his ministry? Or do we see him as a cautionary tale to kind of discourage people and fill them with fear? Think about it, right? If uh, someone that you care for, your best friend, your son or your daughter suddenly comes and says, I want to go out and preach the gospel to all Malaysians. What will you say? Okay, that's good, right? But some will warn, hey, careful, ah. you remember Raymond Ko, right? Pandai, pandai, sikit. Right? So, do we encourage people? Do we commend the faithfulness in proclaiming the gospel? Do we hear this kind of thing and then aspire to intensify our own sharing of the gospel? Or are we led by fear? Now, even as we consider our attitude towards our failures in convincing people of the truths of the gospel, we also see in the text that the disciples are reminded that as careful as they may be, they will still be delivered to the authorities. So how should they respond? Verse 19 tells us, When they deliver you over, do not be anxious how you are to speak or what you are to say, for what you are to say will be given to you in that hour. For it is not you who speak, but the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. So Jesus tells them, that even when they have failed to be wise in their sharing, and so as a consequence, they kind of got caught. Now they have to face that full consequences. They're not abandoned by God. Through the Spirit, God will use them for His purposes. And so actually, even their suffering and failures are not wasted. They will be used for God's purpose, so their situation is not in vain. And yes, almost every single disciple was persecuted and died a terrible death. 
But they're not discarded as failures. They're used by God for his glory. This is what we see in the book of Acts when Paul speaks to Agrippa. Uh, as you read the historical records of the lives of the disciples who are martyred. Revelations 21 verse 14 describes the heavenly Jerusalem in this way. And the wall of the city had 12 foundations and on them were the 12 names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. They are honoured for their faithfulness. They did die, but they died as martyrs who faithfully proclaimed Christ. And through that faithfulness, did not God use that to grow his own church? Would we be here today worshipping Christ if they were not faithful? And would you not see that their faithfulness led to so much blessings to us that we got to hear the gospel and we are safe. But knowing all this, why is it that we do tend to have this idea in the back of our mind? If we preach the gospel and then we get caught, it's a terrible waste. And then we do everything we can to not preach the gospel at all. So we live in fear. We all know that, right? The apostles eventually did listen to Jesus and they put their trust in him. Then they went to preach the gospel boldly. They did end up paying a terrible cost for the gospel. But they are greatly honoured by God and he promised to raise them up to eternal life. Have you considered, what about you? When the day comes, you are raised up. What will you hear from God? Well done, good and faithful servant. Or depart from me, I knew you not. So friends, see here, persecution, even death, should not stop us from sharing the gospel. God's desire, God desires our faithfulness in proclaiming him. That encouragement that applied to the disciples in the text when Jesus was speaking to them, applies to us today. And so we too can trust in the Spirit that if one day we are placed in such a situation, the Spirit will work powerfully through us. Now there is a difference, however, right? The disciples are promised the Spirit will bring forth word from their mouth like Moses before Pharaoh. And of course, this was before the time uh, of the writing of the New Testament when God was using the apostles as prophets to establish his word. Uh, and since... At that point, there was no New Testament writing. It's a bit different for us today, right? We are taught in the book of Hebrews that God speaks through his Son, who we know through the words of Scripture. And so the Spirit is still promised to us, but instead of a new utterance speaking prophetically, the Spirit leads us to remember what we have read in Scripture and then enable us to proclaim it. And in that sense, it is prophetic, right? You're telling the truth that points to Jesus. So through that proclamation led by the Spirit, those who persecute you will hear God's voice. Brought forth by the Spirit, and in the same sense then, you see that we and the disciples have the same duty. So Jesus did not say an empty thing when he promised his disciples, right? I will be with you till the end of the age. It's not empty. Through the Spirit, he is with us. Through good and bad. So... The implication for us is, don't think, or unless I'm a seminary graduate or an armchair theologian, looking at you, Kenneth, you will have nothing to offer if you're put in that position of persecution. 
right? That's not an excuse. The Spirit will guide you. And all the time that you've spent reading your Bible, reading Scripture together with others, is going to be used by the Spirit to glorify God if you find yourself in that position. So see then the importance of us to study and remember God's Word. So don't be void of the Word of God and instead study it diligently because you never know. You might be placed in that situation. I'm reminded of something I read. Uh, there's a pastor who went to China to minister to the Chinese Christians there. So he went to this house church and told them, open up Second Peter. Then he noticed this one woman give a Bible to the guy next. And of course, he's thinking, ah, see, no, don't want to listen lah, this one, right? But when he was talking and he asked some things and she just recited Second Peter from memory. So he was shocked. So during the break, he asked her about it. And she said, well, you know, we Chinese Christians, we have a lot of time in prison. And he asked, didn't they confiscate the Bibles? Say, yeah, yeah, but what we do is we get our friends to smuggle in pieces of paper with portions of scriptures. And that's why we memorize it as fast as we can. Because even though they can take the paper away, they can't take what's hidden in your heart. So study scripture. Hide it in your heart. Prepare yourself so even in the worst case scenario, you can glorify God. Since the passage shows us, right, that when the worst happens, God is with us, God will use you for his purpose, why are we still afraid of sharing the gospel? And let's be honest, it is scary, right? We do fear the cause. I'm not speaking here as in, I got everything figured out, it's scary for me as well. But we all have to consider this, right? What is it about what Jesus says that makes it hard to believe? It's not but we rebel against what we say, isn't it? We want to do it. I know you all want to share the gospel, but when we go out, it's scary. And we see a picture of that fear in verse 21, right? And just after Jesus has told them the synagogues and those in authority is going to persecute them, now the disciples tell us, uh, now the disciples are told in verse 21 that opposition is going to come from even those who are close to them, their brothers, fathers, children, their own family. They will be betrayed and hated by all if they listen to Jesus and preach the gospel. But again, Jesus is not saying this to bring them to despair, but to point them to hope. And so we see this hope, the second part of verse 22, right? The one who endures to the end is the one who is saved. We are not to give up our faith because our parents or siblings reject our faith in Jesus. And even if they persecute us, we are called to endure to the end because it is that faith that will save us. So for those who are facing persecution at home, maybe you've converted and you've left your family religion, you're now a follower of Christ and things are tough at home. Have some comfort. Because this is a promise from Jesus. If you endure to that end, the faith that you hold on to will save you in Christ. You are not holding on to something meaningless, but it's the gospel of Jesus Christ. The gospel that promised that whoever comes to Jesus, puts their trust in Him as their Lord and Savior, their sins are forgiven. They're made right with God and granted eternal life. So as you hold firm to your faith, trust in the gospel, you will come to salvation. 
despite of what your loved ones feel about you. Then we come to verse 23, and it gets a little tricky here, right? Here we see Jesus comforting the disciples even as they flee persecution, right? And he's basically saying that you guys can hold on because it's not going to be forever, because the time is already near when the Son of Man comes. But what does that mean? Right? There are three ways to look at it, right? First is maybe Jesus talking about the second coming, right? When that happens, obviously persecution is going to stop, right? But this doesn't work so well because the second coming hasn't happened yet. And if that's the comfort that the disciples have promised, then actually they died before the comfort came, right? So it doesn't quite work in this passage. So second option, maybe Jesus is talking about the revealing of Jesus as the Son of Man, as God's chosen King, when he was revealed on that cross as the Saviour who comes to die for his people, as he rose from the dead and he proclaimed that all power and authority is his. Now, this could be it, but still, this may not give that comfort from persecution, the sense that, you know, uh, persecution didn't quite slow down or stop, right, when he was raised up, but maybe the disciples were strengthened by knowing this, that they are then able to share the gospel even unto death. And perhaps that's the comfort that Jesus is giving. The third one, which I think I'm going to go with, is that I think um, this Son of Man coming is talking about the judgment that Jesus poured down on unbelieving Israel when the temple was destroyed in AD 70. Right? Remember, Jesus pronounced the judgment and the curse, uh, the judgment and the curse on the temple. Uh, we see that in the Gospels. Well, it does come true in the year AD 70, right? And at that time, the temple fell and the church of God was exalted. And that led to some relief, right? There was a slowing down in the persecution because, you know, the synagogues were more busy, like, hey, your temple gone, what do I do, right? Rather than let's go back the Christians. So that would have led to some relief, and so maybe that's what he's saying here, right? And in that judgment as well, that he came to, that, that, um, to the temple and he destroyed the temple, we see then a small picture that foreshadows the coming of the Son of Man in his full glory in the second coming, to judge over all the world, not just Israel. So in a sense then, that explanation captures the other two things, right? One is it's a shadow of the judgment that's to come. And second, it's actually revealing Jesus as the one who comes with power and authority. Because if he can destroy the temple, he got power, lah, right? So implication then is for us, then this is the hope that we have in time of persecution, isn't it? The Son of Man will come. He will judge. And he will bring the church to glory by his side. So knowing that he has been raised up, all power and authority, and he will come again to judge the living and the dead, we now have hope, don't we? Even if we have to run from persecution, even if that persecution leads to our death. Then, Jesus gives a reason why the disciples will suffer as Israel rejects them in verse 24. Right? So we see him saying, a disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is enough for the disciple to be like his teacher and the servant like his master. If they have called the master of the house Beelzebul, how much more will they malign those of his household? So basically saying the reason Christians today suffer is because 
the disciples are to be more like Jesus, and actually God works to make us more like Jesus, and the point he's making is, and the world has rejected Jesus. So therefore, there should be no surprise for you if the world rejects you as you become more like Jesus, isn't it? That is the cost of being a true disciple. That is the cost of being a faithful servant. So, if we are people who are enjoying our life in this world, we feel we are loved by everyone, cherished by everyone, maybe it's okay, but we should be careful and ask the question, right? Actually, am I becoming more like Jesus or more like the world? Am I proclaiming him or am I more concerned with the world? Have I been denying him before the world? So, good questions to ask if you find your position in life to be reasonably comfortable. Next then, how should we deal with those who persecute Christians? Verse 26 tells us, So have no fear of them. For nothing is covered that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. So we see, we have to have no fear of men or their persecution. Because the point he's making is this hidden thing is going to come to light. And I think what he's saying is just basically that the truth of who Jesus is, the truth that was told to them in secret, uh, what some people would call the messianic secret, right? That truth is going to come out. And when that truth comes out, every knee will bend and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. Because he will one day be revealed to the world without any doubt. And everyone will have to say, oh shoot, we were wrong to persecute the Christians. So on that day, those who preach, it, preach the gospel, those who are hated for the gospel, will be vindicated. And those who persecuted and hated them are going to be proven wrong because judgment will fall on them. So if we understand that, See, we don't need to be afraid, isn't it? Because God promised to vindicate us. And we see that reminder to not be afraid repeated in verse 28. And the reason we are not to be afraid is because all they can do is kill the body. When the gospel is revealed to be true, then everyone will have to face the consequences. They have to stand before God. And unlike man, God not only can destroy the body, but also the soul. Because he will consign those who reject him to hell. A place of utter damnation. And so, to stop proclaiming the gospel because we fear men, is to go against God, isn't it? And that is utter foolishness. Because there will be terrible consequences if we disobey God. So, we should fear God, not men. Now at this point, we think, yeah, but it's fear, right? How can that be a good thing? Let me share this with you, right? Uh, in the First World War, uh, General George Patton, now he's known for his tough attitude, angry character. He went to visit um, a military camp where his best commandos were stationed, right? And he saw this American commando, right? Armed to the teeth, standing on top of a tree, Weapons ready, using binoculars to look for enemies. And he felt very proud. And he called out to the commando and said, You men are always the first into battle. 
willing to take on the most dangerous missions. Tell me, why are you willing to do it? Are you men truly without fear? In response, the commando replied, Sir, it's not that we are without fear, it's that we are more afraid of you. <laughs> now, this may seem illogical, but here we see an example, right? A greater fear drowns out the lesser fear and leads people to act. Fear can drive away fear. Now, it does seem wrong to say that we share the gospel of fear, right? But what we want to understand is fearing God is not the same as fear in general, which is normally a negative thing, right? Fear in this context is more of a right understanding and appreciation of who God is and the consequences of disobeying God, right? So this is more an acknowledgement. God is God and He is powerful. He will judge. And so we need to act in response to that. And just to be clear, this is not saying, hey, if you don't proclaim the gospel hard enough, God is going to take away your salvation and cast you into hell. So it's not a means of scaring us into sharing the gospel because it's you know, putting salvation on a string here, like, ah, gone already, right? It is meant to be a right fear that changes our heart and drives us to do that which is right because we appreciate the holiness of God. So if you rightly fear God, you will see that those who don't accept the gospel will be judged by God, and you will know this is going to happen. And so, as you fear God, who can destroy the body and soul, you will also consider what happened to all these people outside there who don't know God. Right? Hell is terrible. You wouldn't want that to happen to your worst enemy. And if that's the case, will you then, just because they reject you or they persecute you, stop sharing the gospel with them? So imagine that you're buckling up your seatbelt. You do it because you're afraid. If something happens, right, this seatbelt is going to help me. Right? It's not a bad fear, right? And in fact, it's because you believe that the seatbelt can help you. And that's why you tell your friends and whoever gets in your car, hey, please wear your seatbelt. Huh? Right? Hopefully you tell lah, you don't wait for your car to beep out the annoying bing bing and like, no, no, please wear your seatbelt, right? You tell them because they need that for their safety. Right? And if they don't like you, right, saying that to them, if they're kind of like, hey, why you are, that's my wish lah, I want or not, you should still say, hey, you know, I've seen what happened to people who don't wear their seatbelt, isn't it? So in that same way, don't let the resistance to the gospel stop you from caring for them. Because the consequences that they will face is going to be much worse than a head-on collision in a vehicle. So, we should fear God and let that help us overcome the fear of men. Then we come to verse 29, and we see that even the sparrows are valued by God, and if sparrows are important to God, how much more us whom God has created in His image? And it helps us also to think, right? I know this is not fearing God as if He's a violent father, it's about loving, respecting, honoring a loving father, right? So this is a fear that goes in line with knowing that He loves us, 
right? And so for us to set our priorities right, to help us overcome our fear of man, therefore fear God, right? That fear will deliver you from the fear you have of persecution, of being delivered, of being flogged, and being hated by the world. Then Jesus ends in verse 32, and he gives this encouragement to the faithful and a warning to those who, driven by fear, are going to stop sharing the gospel, right? Those who acknowledge Jesus will be acknowledged by him, and those who deny Jesus will be denied by him. So as we come to the end and conclude our passage, we can summarize, right? For those who preach the gospel, persecution and suffering will come, but we are not to give up. We are not to let fear stop us from doing it. We are to fear God above men, continue preaching the gospel. And the cherry on top of the cake is God values us, God will vindicate us, God loves us, and God is with us. So let us reflect on how we are sharing the gospel and let us persevere to doing this, even if the whole world hates you for it. Have a look then at the fears that stop you from sharing the gospel. And once you can look that fear in the eye, this is why I don't want to do it. Ask yourself the question, do I fear this more than God? So see that we need to guard our faith carefully because Christ has said he will only vindicate those who acknowledge him now. If any of us out of fear continue on denying Christ by not proclaiming him, you might think you're okay with him because you come to church regularly, but actually you haven't accepted him as your Lord, isn't it? Right? You're giving lip service to him. I come to church, but this one I don't want to do. Huh? Sorry. There are some areas, this is mine. You're not Lord over my life. And if he's not Lord over your life, He will deny you on that day. And so the only way you can be sure, knowing that you fear God and not man, is by asking the question, do I preach the gospel when I am afraid? Now this does not mean, you know, you have two ways to live ready and like, okay, I'm very scared now, I'm going to recite this, right? It's not necessarily the, the full counsel of the gospel. But how are you responding? Are you planting seeds, asking questions, planning ahead how to get the gospel to them? Or are you just kind of, this is scary, okay, thanks, bye, I'm not interested, right? So do all these things with wisdom and innocence because the goal is for us to bring the gospel to them. What we shouldn't do is be overwhelmed by fear that we don't care and we just kind of shove it aside and we focus on other areas of our Christian life and ignore that one part of our life. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks for this time together. Help us now, Father, to conquer our fears, to strengthen us by your Spirit, and lead us then, Father, to go out into the world to preach the gospel faithfully. And Lord, we pray, regardless of what the world may do to us, please help us to be faithful to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.